You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we're always broadcasting from the middle of a storm. Hurricane Farce. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. I love how that's become like part of the show. If people only knew the true story behind that, but maybe that's a that's a tell all in our later years. Yeah, that, that's a behind the scenes Patreon only podcast for sure. Yeah, maybe that's a Patreon only podcast. But as you just heard, joining me this trip. From Dale's lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yes, freshly back from uh, another quick jaunt out to Germany. Got back yesterday. Boy, uh, Justin, the uh, the masking is even starting to decay out in Germany. I didn't get I didn't get accosted this time to wear my mask on the plane ride back, but I didn't get to enjoy a last minute cancellation and then scrambling around to try and figure out uh, how I was flying back to America. Uh, yeah, they just canceled my flight uh, for no reason between uh, Berlin and Frankfurt, and then I had to fly through Munich instead, and uh, I had an hour layover, which gave me exactly 30 minutes to get, you have to go through customs again, you know, the immigration again, so I had to go through immigration again uh, in uh, in Munich, and uh, but thankfully my uh, global entry and biometric passport uh, saved me from the ridiculously long line i was probably the second to last person to sit down on the plane they gave you no reason for the flight being canceled nope it was just canceled so it wasn't the germans trying to get you on the train i don't think so uh because the thing was it didn't give me an option to uh to because i could have just taken the train from berlin to frankfurt it would have been fine it's a it's like four hours or maybe something but that, that would have been fine you know i could have done that the, the night before because the cancellation was the night before it was after i'd already checked in but it was still the night before that wouldn't have been a huge deal but uh yeah it was just sort of like oh nope f you it's canceled that's bizarre that's bizarre we thought things were crazy in lax maybe that'll maybe, give us maybe some they perspective. needed more natural gas maybe that putin gas uh was <laughs> not available i don't know Somebody used their washing machine too often in Germany, so a flight oh, got no. canceled. Someone someone plugged in a real dryer and not the dryer that takes <laughs> literally 24 straight hours to dry clothes. My poor yeah. sister. <laughs> All right. Well, when we're talking about uh, energy and, and natural disaster in the environment, I think we've got a big story to talk about here. One that perhaps I lived through. Let's do it in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you could do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode, Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including and perhaps most of all, affirmations. And if you don't want to support us, we don't care either. If you want to donate to the hurricane support relief, go ahead. But if you don't, we don't care either. Everyone's welcome here in the midside. But 
I think where everyone's not welcome, William, is in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. So mm-hmm. let's 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 just recount my experience here, and then go into um, sort of the aftermath here, and sort of why, why the aftermath is sort of more shocking than the storm itself. So. For those who weren't following it, who weren't sitting around watching Weather Channel the whole time, like I was, I, I transformed into my true 80-year-old self during this, this storm, watching the Weather Channel the whole time. Uh, this was a pretty, pretty bad storm. And the reason it was bad was two reasons. One, it was right on the line between Category 4 and Category 5, and Category 5 is the, the highest level of hurricane. That means the strongest winds. But what made it particularly bad was how slow it moved. And what that means is it didn't have a fast speed, so it would sort of like squat over certain areas. And the first place it squatted was on the Gulf Coast near Fort Myers, and it hammered the crap out of that area. And what I mean by that is they kept using the term surge, right? Storm surge. It was taking the water from the Gulf and pushing it onto the the shore. And it was up to like 8 feet, 12 feet. So it sat there for a long time. Now it started creeping inwards the whole time. And you would think here in central Florida that if it's creeping slowly, it wouldn't impact us that badly. And the reason you would think that is when a, a hurricane is over water... So do you want to see all the things I've learned? These are all the things I've learned from over the, the past channel. week wow. from the weather channel. Well, also my dad calling and yelling at me angrily because he went to the University of Miami and lived through a bunch of these. He'd be like, oh, are you ready for flooding? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, there's not going to be flooding. Smash cut to flooding. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. When it's over water and over warm water, it picks up power. But when it's over land, it has nothing to draw moisture from. So it slows down. So by the time it hit here in Orlando, Kissimmee, it was pretty low power. It was like a Category 1, almost a tropical storm. But because it was so slow, it dropped so much rain on the city. Now, here's the problem. A lot of Kissimmee is old. Our property did not flood. right? No, I don't mean people-wise. Right. I, I, were you asking for a real clarification because I was being <laughs> unclear? No, no. Or was that a joke? That was a joke. Oh, okay. No, I'm talking infrastructure-wise. So our property was built in 2019, our complex. So if you go out in the street, you know, the street's slightly curved, slightly domed. Our driveways all slope downwards. There's little funnels on the sides of the road, and there's giant drains you know, every 100 feet or so on the side of the road. So our property did not flood. But these older properties in Kissimmee that don't have as good of a drainage system are flooded, were flooded, and still are flooded. There are areas where the water is still rising and people are still being evacuated. And that's what makes this storm particularly worst-case scenario is, one, the way it hammered the coast because of how slow it was. And then two, the way it really presented a new challenge to central Florida because of how slow it was. Well, I blame Did you Al follow Gore the hurricane at all? Change. I blame Al Gore and climate change. 
Well, that was one of my first thoughts was that <laughs> people are going to say that this is an exa- example of what Al Gore was talking about, hurricanes getting worse. Well, and they interviewed someone on the news. I saw the clips of it where uh, uh, I think uh, Don Lemon was trying to get them to say it was climate change. And the w- meteorologist was like, no, you cannot look at one storm and and say, oh, this is because of climate change. That That's not that's not even the proper category to apply. And uh, and he got very upset and he said, well, I grew up in Florida and I know that this is worse. So therefore, climate change. So, uh, yeah, it's great to see uh, uh, scientific reasoning by uh, Don Lemon. Yeah, I mean, the sad part is it's not only with climate change that this is being politicized. So because I was fortunate enough not to be flooded. Right. And I didn't drive to that side of town to see all the flooding and to see where flooding was. I, like everyone else, had to follow things on social media. And if you've been in the Discord, you saw all the tweets I was dropping in there. I don't know, William, did you see all those tweets? Yeah, yeah, I was following along. Because what I did was I went under search and I searched Kissimmee. Because I wanted to see the videos and pictures people were posting of the flooding. But laced in with those were people complaining and specifically accusing Governor DeSantis of abandoning Kissimmee for two reasons. One, they were accusing him of abandoning Kissimmee because it's a blue county. So in elections, it tends to vote blue, as does Orlando. Mm. So, so they were saying the uh, George Bush doesn't like black people, Kanye. Correct. Uh, okay. Right. This is this is bad, Kanye. George Bush doesn't like black people. Too bad we don't have that drop. Right. And that was the other thing they were saying was he wasn't helping Kissimmee because. He's racist. And I mean, this is, there's two things about this. One, this is completely ridiculous because it's not that nobody cared about Kissimmee and things are bad in Kissimmee, but when you're doing triage and you're looking at the coast versus here, where is the area that needs the most help, William? Sorry, I was getting the drop for you. Oh, I was I was joking. But um don't you think the coast needs more help than central Florida? And then people will, you know, say that it's minimizing. And it's not minimizing. It's just tough when things are comparative. And and the yeah. the thing that's really crazy about this that makes it particularly bad the second thing here is because people are so politically minded, they see it incorrectly right they don't see oh there are other people who are in more dire straits than us and that's what's being handled first and that that led that made me think of a tweet or in a conversation about this a tweet from a midsider midsider lucid tweeted people who view life entirely through the lens of politics are insufferable and that's really i think a great way to sum up the way a lot of people were approaching this and the way a lot of people see things nowadays. And it's sad because this is a natural disaster. It has nothing to do with politics and and people will politicize it and it, it makes it insufferable. You can't even have a conversation about it. It makes it hard to have sympathy for yeah. people because you want to help. Here's, here's that Kanye for you. I hate the way they portray us in the media. If you see a black family, it says they're looting see a white family it says they're looking for food and you know it's been five days because most of the people are black 
And even for me to complain about, I would be a hypocrite because I've tried to turn away from the teacher TV because it's too hard to watch. I've even been shopping before even giving a donation. So now I'm calling my business manager right now to see what's, what is the biggest amount I can give. And, and just to imagine if I was, if I was down there and those are, those are my people down there. So anybody out there that wants to do anything that we can help with, with the setup, the way America is set up to help the, um, uh, the poor, the, the black people, the, uh, the less well off as slow as possible. I mean, this is Red Cross is doing everything they can. We, we already realize a lot of the people that could help are at war right now fighting another way. And they, they, they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. And subtle, but in even many ways more profoundly devastating is the lasting damage to the survivors' will to rebuild and remain in the area. The destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. So there we go. How is it different, how's it different now? That, that's why I wanted to play it. I know, uh, I know it's a little long for a clip, but how is it different now? Yeah, I, know. I mean, when, when, you, first of all, that was the thing I was taken aback of. It was how long I was like, oh, you played the whole thing, right? But then as I listened to it, you played it because it's, it's exactly the same argument. It's just not in tweet form, yeah. right? They're just yeah. taking that argument. It's not in tweet form. And you know what was the, the craziest thing about that? How that final clip, George Bush doesn't care about black people, stands out so much it, yeah. it feels like a non sequitur doesn't it like the rest of it is like it's a coherent argument i don't think it's a a, a sound argument right but it, it's at least valid right it at least follows the form of reasoning you're like okay i get his argument i don't think it's sound but then he jumps to the conclusion of george bush doesn't care about black people and it feels like a non sequitur doesn't it it does but it plays into exactly what you're saying about making everything political because right it it it, it goes from a argument that we can you know, obviously disagree with on its merits, but it, at least it takes the form of an argument to immediately a politicized, like tribalist statement, right? Of George Bush doesn't like black people. Like, what does that have to do? Whether he likes them or not, what does that have to do with the art of the previous argument? It doesn't have anything to do with it. It's right. an appeal to tribalism. You know, I, I'd like to add that to your yes. uh, argument fallacies, right? You know, a lot of people talk about appeals to emotionalism or appeals to emotion. This is appeal to tribalism. I think that I would put that as sort of a, a sub fallacy under the bandwagon fallacy. Yeah. It's not only what bandwagon, it's not only that you're on a bandwagon, it's you're on the right bandwagon. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It's sort of like a hybrid of the genetic fallacy and the bandwagon fallacy because there's just something intrinsically correct about a specific bandwagon. Right, right. And that's what leads to these non sequiturs because really what we're seeing now is. People aren't even talking about the argument Kanye was presenting. And I think that's why we end up nowadays with a good Kanye and a bad Kanye is Kanye is looking more and more reasonable because he actually presents arguments. They may be incorrect. Yeah, they may be unsound arguments, but he presents arguments still to this day, whereas everyone else just just works in these sound bites in these non sequiturs, or as I've always called them catchphrases and the catchphrases are, you know, people have called them virtue signals, but they're just appealing to their, their tribe. Right. Yeah. It, it, do, do people, I, I, I always wonder how many, you know, this is a stupid or liar, uh, Adam Carolla's thing. How many people really think like actually think that 
DeSantis is looking at the voting records and deciding where to send aid. I mean, that's one of those projection things, William, that scares me. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's uh, revealing, it makes isn't me wonder it? It's very they revealing do it? about the Democrats. Yeah. Right. Well, does that mean if they were in charge, they would do it? I, I, that's the only that's the only conclusion I can draw. And that's that's not good. Now, that that doesn't mean I think the Republicans are some bastion of morality, you know, because they, they are very quick to take up whatever new political weapon the Democrats come up with. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's being said is anger at Disney and Universal. So Disney and Universal both shut down for Wednesday and Thursday, preparing for the storm to give people time to prepare for the storm, prepare their own parks for the storm. And then the storm was over Thursday or Wednesday night, Thursday morning was the worst of it. And then it sort of dwindled all day on Thursday. I think what a lot of people don't know about hurricanes who haven't been in them is that they really linger, especially when it's as slow as this one, because you go through the, the, the eye wall, you know, the middle of the heart, the heart of the storm. And then as that thing keeps moving and rotates, you get the outskirts. So you get missed for like a whole day, right? Yeah. So and often, through, often there could be tornadoes, uh, especially further inland yeah. on the, on those, uh, on those outer areas. Yeah, and people don't know that either. But fortunately, I don't think we experienced any tornadoes, but I do know in the past people in this area have. So, yeah, that's an, another thing people don't know. But what I was talking about was the, you know, how long it lingers for. So Thursday it lingered, and even through a little bit Friday morning it lingered. But Disney and Universal decided to open on Friday. You know, there were people who were sheltering in place from foreign countries all on Disney property, right? They had booked their vacation probably a year in advance, right? Six months. Who knows yeah. how far in advance they booked it. And then they came here and they had the unfortunate luck of a hurricane hitting. They can't control that. So they were, you know, bunkered down in Disney hotels when Disney shut down everything. And, you know, Disney did the best they could to make things affordable for them. I know like a buffet in the Animal Kingdom Lodge was only like $15. It's normally like 40 So they were doing what they could for these people. But then, of course, life must go on, so they reopened on Friday. So, of course, the response was, and I believe I dumped a bunch of these in the Discord as well, people complaining that Disney has no sympathy for its employees, its cast members who live in Kissimmee. Same thing with Universal. They were saying, Kissimmee's still flooded, and you want people to go into work? William, I just... I don't understand this mentality at all because it's two things for me. One, if my house is flooded, I know I'm going to need to keep working in order to pay for the repairs that home insurance doesn't pay for. So I'm thankful my employer is open because it's it's just adding fuel to the fire. I mean, that was the problem with the pandemic. And part of yeah. why we're in the economic problem we're in right now is not only were we sick, but then everyone said, you know what, we're shutting down too. So our quality of life dropped and we had no way of making back that money to improve it. Now, I personally was fortunate because I'm a teacher and they had me teach from home. But what about the people working retail? What about the people working Disney over all that time? That had to have been really tough for them financially. And then the second thing is, this isn't like the pandemic. When you went to Disney and Universal during the pandemic, you weren't escaping it. It was everywhere. But if my house is flooded and there's nothing I can do until it gets unflooded... 
wouldn't I rather be at a safe place to work than sitting at home the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. I, this is this is a, a big fuck you to the employees, right? That's what this is. And I mean that in the opposite of the way they're meaning it, right? What are they supposed to do? Is Disney well, I guess they would say Disney should just pay them to stay home. And I I can imagine in some scenarios people would call off work, right? They'd be saying, like, hey, you know, like I'm dealing with the house right now, you know? And I, I, I don't see them I, this is exactly what employers do with employees that they value, right? So I'm sure there are people who called off and were like, hey, I can't get out of my house right now. All the streets are flooded. Okay, cool. Right? This The story is not about Disney firing employees for not showing up on Friday. That would be a different thing. This is saying like, right. hey, we're open. We're going to do this. We have customers that we need to delight. Um, you know, the storm is unfortunate, but this is good for everyone. This is good for our employees. This is good for um, uh, our park visitors. And I mean, if Disney did start firing employees for not showing up, William, we would have, I would have a much different perspective. I assume yeah. you would as well. Of correct? course. Yeah. All right. So I think for me, the big takeaway from all of this is just, there are things beyond our control and you have to be able to respond to them reasonably. You know, a lot of what was talked about and what we talked about in the pandemic was risk assessment. And I do think there is an element of that here as well. But I also think there's a, a consequence assessment. And what I mean by that is, or maybe effects assessment. I don't know if somebody can come up with a better conceptual term. It's just the, what's the proper way to respond to what has already happened. Do you get what I mean? And I don't think people yeah. are doing that. I think they're just lashing out rather than being like, hey, this tragedy happened. We couldn't control it. So what's the best way to respond? Yeah. Let me try to steel man it a little bit. You'll steel man the other side. Maybe there is something here about the emotional impact, right? Maybe there is something here that could be acknowledged, right? But I still don't see that outweighing the rational side of saying like, hey, let's open on Friday. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. I, I mean, I agree that there is an emotional side to it. There is a psychological side to it. There is trauma. I mean, I have students and athletes who their homes were flooded. And some of them are messaging me. And some of them are pretty upset. And I have to properly assess how to respond. Because I want to make sure... It's so weird being at this point in life, William, and being a teacher and a coach where I have to make sure when I'm responding that I'm not saying something that's going to stick with them forever. Do you understand what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah, because you have to you have to take in mind their context, which is so important. Right. right. And I think back to when I was a kid and when stuff happened and, you know, now at the age I'm at, you know, nearly 40 years old, the things that have stuck with me. And it's like, that's the thing that my psychology focused on. And that's the quote that keeps coming up. That's the moment that stays with me. Yeah. And when one of the messages me and, and, you know, she's upset, I have to think, okay, I don't want to say the thing that's going to reinforce negative intrusive thoughts for her for the rest of her life. And she'll always think, oh, wow, you know, Coach Al said that. I can't believe he said that or he said that it must be true. So I have to, whenever she says something, reply in a way that is, you know, reinforcing that it's okay, that this is just momentary, that you will get through this and it's possible to get through this and come out on the other side. And 
it, it's very difficult because it's almost like a meta way of saying things as a teacher and a coach. Yeah, this takes me back. I know we keep making the comparison. This takes me back to uh, remember at the beginning of COVID, um, one of the tweet conversations I got uh, major uh, a flack for was pointing out how you know, hey, you can use this lockdown to focus on your health and your fitness and, uh, you know, so you're getting some more alone time. So, you know, meditation, you know, work on yourself and come out stronger on the other side. This is right at the beginning of the lockdowns, trying to spin a positive outlook on it. And that was met with a lot of ire, a lot of anger and consternation, right? Um, having that more positive outlook or that, that you know, not wallowing in, in the trauma. And you can see, you can, you can see the parallels in what they're talking about here with how dare Disney open, right? We should wallow right. in this trauma. Which is ironic. And it's ironic that you brought up COVID because when we're talking about the effects and the proper way to deal with them, I mean, I think the vaccine is a almost a perfect conquer to like you couldn't write a story better yeah. you know how like when you write a story especially the movie or tv show you need like something physical concrete to concretize the abstract issue and then also in a movie or tv show it needs to be visual i mean the idea of a vaccine is like the perfect concretization and visualization for this because it's very real right it's a literally something that's injected into you and when you look at it you see it being injected into you like you can very physically see it. And, you know, I'm not going to go into the exact of the, the study that's cited here in this Washington Post article, but I think just, just the topic really shows to what we're, shows what we're talking about and also relates to how do we deal with these effects and how do we properly balance, like you said, the psychological effects versus the, you know, the, the physical effects. And what we have here is the Washington Post is reporting that women have said that coronavirus shots affect their periods. And, you know, we started hearing this, right, William, on social media. Oh, yeah. And Gina people Grad know. Of, uh, on uh, Adam Crowley's show was talking about it. And now that now it's uh, it's not just anecdotes. Right. Now there's a new study that's showing that they're right. And again, I'm not going to you know, debate the science. Where's the Fauci? Where's the Fauci drop about? We must follow the science. Hit that one. Man, it's on the second page. No, I can't. Ah, oh, it's on the all second I, all page. I is, all I have is this one. Chandler, it's all your fault. That's the only one I have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the Fauci to follow the science one. Okay, well, I was going to say, we're just going to follow the science here. Yeah. And this is my question for you, William. Okay. More and more, right? Even if, you know, if you listen to the Adam and Drew show, they talk about this too, right? More and more dangers are coming out about the vaccine, right? Yeah. And more and more are being confirmed. When this all started happening and people started saying stuff, everyone was saying they were paranoid, right? Yes. I want to. I want to know when people are going to finally accept that the vaccine is not worthwhile. Now, I want to be clear. I've always said there are certain people would be worthwhile for. Like, if you're at risk here. It probably is worth the risk of taking the vaccine, right? If you balance everything with a proper risk assessment, if you're one of the at-risk people for COVID, it was probably worth and probably is worth taking. But for everyone else, it's not worthwhile. It has shown to do more harm than good. And I also want to be clear that one of the things we heralded is how quick they were able to do it scientifically, right? When, when we got rid of the FDA regulations, we saw how quickly advancements can be made. But I don't think the issue here is that, 
right? I think the issue is this is a, a type of virus that humanity has never been able to, right? The the uh, coronavirus, when we're talking about colds, humanity has never been able to develop a vaccine for it, has never been able to properly cure the common cold. How are they going to be able to really cure coronavirus? And it goes back to everything we were just saying. The vaccine to me always seemed like a political play. It was always their way of getting out of the rhetoric they created to scare people and control people. And now we're seeing the effects are people ever going to accept it's worthwhile? It's, I mean, it's not worthwhile. Or are we just stuck with it now because it was marketed so effectively people bought into the rhetoric? I think it's, I think it's interesting because we've got folks, uh, I forgot the guy's name. He was banned from Twitter and recently uh, won an uh, injunction and he's back on Twitter. He was putting out this stuff back at the beginning of the pandemic. And we still don't have people who are assessing risk properly, and they're they're talking about they're talking about giving folks the mRNA vaccines that are children, and the when you compare the odds, your the odds of complication are greater than the odds of death via COVID, and it it just is it doesn't make any sense, right? It, it, like mathematically, like if now that doesn't mean for all kids, right? You might have a child that is has some other risk factors that make it make sense. But just having, uh, being in that age group doesn't make any sense, right? You would have to have some other confounding things. And that's what we've talked about all along. It's like, hey, this should be between you and your doctor. And that's the part that we were fighting against the whole time. And nobody seems to care about that, right? No one is no one is thinking about it in terms of risk and statistics and mathematics and weighing your risk factors with your doctor. Those are all out the window. You're supposed to just follow the science, right? Yeah, and it's it's just crazy to me. It's just crazy to me. But, I mean, that's what farce is, right? And another kind of ridiculous, over-the-top farce this week, and I think you're going to love this one, especially, William, because I think it, like, you know how we say there is no peak farce on this show, and then there's always something that escalates, right? And and last week we had the, you know, the the, the, the Canadian shop teacher wearing yeah. the <laughs> giant prosthetics. Oh, man. And that, you know... We Thank talked God about we disavowed the, that episode. We would have got canceled for sure. <laughs> well, we're probably going to get canceled here, too, because we're going to talk about a serial killer here in a second. Oh, no. Um, but we also talked about, we used that as a lead-in for talking about the organizer of the first ever gay pride parade being es- essentially canceled for his views on the, the trans community, yeah. right, and, and, and transgenderism. Well... They escalated that a step further. And when I say they, I mean the, whatever group of people you want to say, whatever people go out and, and complain. Because there was a lot of complaints to Netflix this week. Because Netflix released a new show, Dahmer, about Jeffrey Dahmer, the, uh, the homosexual serial killer who ate his victims, right? I don't think he ate them completely. I think he ate parts of them, right? And, and as has been going on, I don't know. Has this been going on for five years, 10 years? I feel like it's the last five years. There's been more content about all these serial killers. William, what do you think? Five years? It's been since 2015. I feel like, yeah. but it really picked up later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is another one, right? Cause there was already a movie about Jeffrey Dahmer, my friend yeah. Dahmer based on the book. And I saw that and it was, it was a decent movie, but this one, you know, my wife was just watching the first episode before I recorded. This one's like super dark. And I don't like just I don't just mean like, hey, it's about the serial killer. So it's dark. I mean, like the way they shot it, like lighting wise is dark. So this one really seems to like revel in the, you know, the the 
gro- I want to say grotesserie. I know that's not a word, but like <laughs> that that's what it feels like I've to heard me. Of rotisserie like, chicken, but never grotesserie <laughs> chicken. But well, that's why I mean, doesn't that sound like what Jeffrey Dahmer did? It was yeah. grotesserie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It seems to revel in that, and there seems to be a lot of content reveling in that nowadays. So of course, there's backlash to the show, but the backlash is because he was homosexual and he hunted men. Netflix used the tag LGBTQ for the show. And let me guess, Viewers, the backlash was because they didn't put the plus at the end. I mean, I wish, which would be hilarious. Is that where the plus came from for all the streaming services? It wanted to be inclusive? <laughs> Maybe. No, the complaint was, this is one of the tweets that, that are shared in this Variety article. Netflix, I implore you to please reconsider having Dahmer with the LGBTQ tag, especially as one of its tags right when you open the app. The problem is, is they don't want him representing the LGBTQ plus LMNOP community. Um, let's see. One, This is not the representation we're looking for, is what one subscriber wrote on TikTok. William. Mm-hmm. Isn't the stage of acceptance where you're in the general culture and you're part of the general culture that there is good representation and bad representation and you realize that not every person who shares a trait with you represents you? Yes. Also, Justin, I'm going to do this while we're talking about other things, but I'm going to pull up all the movies that are have that tag and we're going to talk about whether it's good representation or bad representation because there is no there is no way that there are movies on this list that would be uh acceptable representation first of all me in general like i would uh i would not want them that to be my representation but well that's the way hold on what list are you pulling up the lgbtq list yeah, on well, Netflix? first of all there's not just one list there's romantic lgbtq movies emotional teen romance tv shows dramas documentaries asian well yeah steamy, this wasn't just critical. to be clear this wasn't the only tag it wasn't yeah. like you clicked on Dahmer and it said it was an lgbtq movie it was like horror psychological like true well, crime right okay, yeah, it wasn't the at, only I, tag yeah i'm looking i'm just looking at the first couple ones and there and like, wait are we asking hold on are we asking if it's acceptable for us or if it should be acceptable for the LGBT. Like, yeah. is this Walker joke or what are we doing? I here? don't know. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> like a lot of these have to do with like um, underage sex, right? Abuse, drug use. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just looking at them just in general. You I don't, really I don't need to call any to, out. Right. Just to be clear, I disavow everything that has been said and ever will be said on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just pointing out here the obvious that there's a ton of movies here that are not good representations of LGBTQ ia plus lmnop folks right yeah so so are we supposed to say Dahmer is some line that we're not going to cross because i'm sure if i look long enough i'll find a serial killer one i guess i guess that's their line i don't know it's very it's very strange the partially this is the the large amorphous mob and yeah. I, I said mob instead of blob because like there's so many people who think they personally speak for their entire group, which is part of the problem with all of this is, you know, these could just be people who are upset about it. Rightfully so. Right. Like what Jeffrey Dahmer did is upsetting. Definitionally, it should be upsetting. But to think that because you're upset by it, you don't want the tag and you speak for everyone in that group 
is the problem. So it's when you wrap the narcissism in with this where it really becomes a problem because you can't really like I I always get uncomfortable on the show when we're like, oh, this is what the entire group is saying. Right. Especially yeah. in such narcissistic times. Well, I, I, I do speak for the entire group, but unfortunately, I've checked my privilege at the beginning of the show, so I can't during the show. <laughs> I mean, this sort of like this whole representation thing, William. Oh, like, man, I've had enough it, of it. Like, I, I do not want to see myself in film as in the actual embodiment of myself, like exactly me in film. I do not want to see that. I want to see I want to see the world as it could and should be. Is that right? Is that so evil apparently it is especially like with representation do you ever watch shows like ninja warrior yeah i've watched it before ninja warrior loves like their their human stories as they call them so like half the show i fast forward through because it's all these video packages about well, the suffering that's people been watching through. it with your wife it's the same thing with football right they do all the human interest shit uh, to keep the female audience and then, you know, the actual sports shit for the male audience. And I'm not making this up. This has actually, like, been discussed on on, on a lot of different uh, outlets. I know. But afterwards, after somebody's run, they'll, like, ask, like, whatever, you know, whatever group that person represents. They'll ask the person after the run, like, what does it feel like to represent that group? And I'm just waiting for somebody one day to be like, I don't represent a group. I'm me. I hope everyone watching this can be inspired and think he or she can become the best version of him or herself. But I don't represent any specific group. Just because I can do this doesn't mean everyone who was in a wheelchair can suddenly become unparalyzed and do Ninja Warrior. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to identify as a midsider if I ever get recognized as a gay thought leader in, in something. I'll be like, oh, no, 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 that's not the group I belong to. I belong to the mid-side. Right, but that's different. That's a group you chose to belong to, right? Exactly, exactly. And that that kind of circles us back around to this LGBTQ tag, though, is I do have sympathy in a way, because if we're talking about the essential of LGBTQ, right, William? Yeah. Shouldn't it only be... Although, then again, I don't have sympathy because he did hunt based on sexuality. Yeah. So isn't this necessarily LGBTQ tag? Yeah, I think I think in the in, in some sense, it makes sense that it's tagged. Yes, because right. it is it is a story. It is a part of because it is sexually based violence. Like, forget yes. whether he was gay or not. Right. So he was trying to make zombie sex slaves. Yes. Of gay men he was literally boring holes in their skulls and pouring acid in there to try and turn them into zombie sex slaves yeah yeah so this is this has to do with male like the g and lgbtqia plus lmnop right and that's what the tag should be used for is things that deal with sexuality like you wouldn't want to just like be like oh here's a football movie and that guy's gay so we're gonna sell it lgbtq when that never comes up in the movie right at that point you could say well that's not relevant right but here it is relevant so i i kind of have sympathy and like it's about a serial killer and so i get that you could say that that's not relevant to you know sexuality but when the serial killer killers hunting based on sexuality isn't that also part of telling their story yeah wouldn't it be 
I mean, I'm just trying to use the consistent logic they use. Wouldn't it be? Look how we've been victimized. Yeah, wasn't it? What? Why wasn't it? Look how we've been victimized, which is so much off. So more often, they're they're tacked, right? Right. This was suppressing. You know, the serial killer that killed gay black men, right? Because that's the other thing too. He hunted black men, right? Ooh. So did it? Wouldn't it be? uh, Oh, he's suppressing the the story. Black black stories uh, tag. Oh, I don't know if it had that. Oh man. But he is a white man, so that gets a little more confusing if, with what you tag it as at that point. Yep. Right? If it was a black serial killer hunting black people, I think you could have an argument for it being the you know, African-American tag or black tag or whatever they have or culture. I don't know what the tag. Do they have a black tag? It seems like that would be considered I racist. They they, I think on uh, Apple TV it was like black stories or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but don't but that's the that. point. Is That's entirely the point I'm making. The, we've heard so much how important it is to tell people their stories that were now you know race bending cast member characters now right we're race bending ariel because it's important to tell everyone's story right well isn't this part of the stories yes yes all the trans ginger we've been uh getting rid of all the gingers all right moving on to something a little more happy or is it right mcdonald's is bringing happy meals back Wait, they didn't go anywhere. You're right, they didn't go anywhere for children, but they're bringing them back for adults. So according to the chief marketing officer, he said, we're taking one of the most nostalgic McDonald's experiences and literally repackaging it in a new way that's hyper-relevant for our adult fans. Let me guess, I'm not the Happy sure... Meal toys will be dildos. I mean, they kind of look like that. Like, I don't understand what these toys are. Oh, Have I you seen the picture see the, of them? No, I, I, let me click on it. Hold on. It's, they're bizarre, right? So beyond the question of are Happy Meals ever relevant for adult fans, they're going to give like these different figures of the characters, but they all have two sets of eyes. I don't understand this. I don't understand this. Why? I Why? So maybe this is just one of these we need Are to toss. Are they doing this so that you can't sell them as originals? Were there what do you mean sell them as originals? Figura- uh, were there originals of these figurines? Oh, I don't know. Whoa, this is weird. It also says these figures are made by Cactus Plant Flea Market, which maybe this is part of their style. And they'll be releasing a limited edition line of clothing and merchandise. So, Cactus Plant Flea Market. Maybe that's just their style. But it's just like, one, why do adults need Happy Meals? Right? Are we that, like, emotionally stunted as adults our age that we need Happy Meals? And two, every company and everything nowadays, oh yeah, it looks like that's part of the style of the company. That's so when such I found an them, odd pick. they use a yeah. I know why didn't they do Funko Pops? Right? Was Funko Pops too rich for them? Yeah, I was just bizarre. But the, the the thing that's bizarre about the whole thing is, like I said, the need for Happy Meals for adults and the need to. Why does every company you sell fucking cheeseburgers, dude? You sell cheeseburgers. Why do you need to have a merchandise line? 
Why do you have limited edition merchandise that sells out quickly and then people flip it? It's all, look, it's hard for me to say this isn't all emotionalism, William. Show me. It's member berries. It's member berries. Right. And it's the, but that's what I'm saying. It's the endorphin hit. It's almost like drugs. It's the endorphin hit of, I have to get this because of my member berries, because of my nostalgia. And because it's limited, I have to get it before it sells out. Does that make sense? Yep. But what actual value does this present? They did that a while ago too. Remember when they tried to make that and it sold out super quick? I still have one in my fridge. Uh, Someone brought, someone brought one and it's still sitting in my fridge. Is it, where could it, should I sell it on eBay? Uh, try. See what happens. See how much you can make it for. All right. Make make for it. Sorry, I said that backwards. Sorry, I'm getting like I didn't, no one ever texts me, and then I start the podcast, and you have friends, a bunch Justin. of texts. No, I don't. They're all underwater. And the reason I don't have friends is probably the answer to the next question. So this tweet from Scott Adams was submitted by a, a, a midsider, and it's an interesting question. And I actually have a problem with this question. And, and we'll get into it. But I want to read the question to you first, William, and, and see your answer and see if perhaps your answer lines up with mine. It says, if you are a hiring manager in corporate America and an equally qualified white man and black man applied, would you hire the black man to get the two for quote unquote benefit of diversity plus a good employee? And in parentheses, he said, there are no other variables in this case. What is your response, William? Uh, false dichotomy, bro. Because I don't know anything about the white man, so I don't know whether the black man is actually more diverse, would add to the diversity of my company or not. And plus, I don't necessarily bind to the premise that diversity equals good, right? Diverse between what and what? Meaning, like, is this person diverse because they're a criminal? Like, is the white person a criminal and the black person not? I mean, I think let's be generous here. Let's be generous here. I think he's saying the only difference between these two is their skin color. Okay. Well, that then that means like let's let's concretize it, and you'll see what I'm saying. Uh, Both, let's say, uh, 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 we both. It's two people. They both grew up in Durand, Michigan. Uh, They they both went to college, University of Michigan, then on to their masters in Johns Hopkins, and now they're available. No, there's no difference here. Right. If they're if they're the same in all variables, just having the skin color difference is not uh, not a prima facie, a giant diversity uh, difference. And plus, two people are never exactly the same. It's just like a complete false uh, way of looking at a looking at a uh, how you hire. Like no two people. are OK, identical. yes. Right. And that would that's the problem I have with this question. I completely understand the need for uh, thought experiments in philosophy but one of the problems that I have with philosophy in general, and maybe it's just more modern philosophy, is they come up with thought experiments that are disconnected from reality. And this is one of them. Yeah. It says there are no other variables in this case. Well, what is this man's personality? What are the two men's personality? Let's not even say this man's. Let's say both men, the white man and the black man. What are their personalities? Yeah, let's say How they're, do they cloned, mesh they're cloned. The yeah, they're cloned or like copied. They're immediately copied, except for one characteristic has changed. Their skin color, right? Like I'm trying to make a sci-fi premise just to make this even work, right? And that's the But problem. you can't even do that. I mean, even identical twins aren't the same. Exactly. And you can't exactly. treat them the same. I mean, I have a girl on my wrestling team who has a sister who is an identical twin. 
and they have different personalities. And when I interact with them, I can't treat them the same. It wouldn't be fair to either of them. Right. So this ignores reality. And and these kind of questions try to simplify who people are in order to make a point. And, you know, Scott Adams is trying to make the point about reverse racism, but he's playing the same game they're playing in order to get there. Right. And that's the the premise. Right. He's not challenging the premise. All right. Anything else you want to say? Nah. False dichotomy, bro. All right. Always good to use one of our catchphrases. But when we're talking about and I'm going to say and not but and when we're talking about not challenging the premise, I think that flows perfectly into our movie review for this week. Let's hit it in the hopeful romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to join the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. If you go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link. In there is the link to join our Discord. Uh, you can talk about the trailers for Trailer Takedown if you want. We got some feedback on the trailers this week, and also it led into a little bit of a discussion of La La Land. So, you know, get in there and participate in the discussion. So, this week, William, I saw out of morbid curiosity, because of a headline in a news story we're going to talk about in one second here, I saw Don't Worry Darling. Do you remember that trailer? I do. I believe I tackled. I definitely tackled it. I knew it would be bad because it's by uh, director Olivia Wilde, who, to be clear, she was excellent on House. I loved her as 13 on House. Yeah. Right? But... Booksmart is legitimately one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And this movie confirms that I was right about her as a director. This is my review of this movie. Are you ready for this wave? This is my one sentence review on Letterboxd. You can find me on Letterboxd on the midside. Don't Worry Darling plays like director Olivia Wilde saw Get Out and said, I want to make one of those, but for women. Yikes. That's as bad as it seems. Now, I don't want to spoil this because just like with Get Out, like when you get to the end and you see the the reveal, quote unquote, because it's literally, look, it's literally the same thing. It's like, hey, look at how women are oppressed. And they use the whole trope of the 1950s. Oh, look at how bad things were in the 1950s, right? There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. That's not even the spoiler, dude. That's obvious from the trailer. Okay. And then when the reveal of why it's, it's as absurd, if not more absurd than the reveal in get out. You remember the reveal in get out Yep. where they were taking black people's bodies, taking their brains out and putting white people's brains in them to appropriate their bodies. Yep. So it was saying like black people have to get out of white culture. Well, it's the same thing here with saying, you know, women need to get out of male culture and the reason, dude, dude, do we even have male culture now? We are female dominated culture right now. Okay, well now you're starting to sound like the movie's villain, Uh-oh. or the person the movie's villain was based on. So this headline from Jezebel: 
Jordan Peterson cried discussing how Don't Worry Darling Incel King was based on him. Now, just to be clear, this is not made up. Like, if I hadn't, like, I was primed going in because they primed the pump because I knew these quotes. But when you're watching this movie, it's very clear the villain is based on Jordan Peterson. And this is a, these are real quotes from an evil man to base it on. Well, and that's the point, right? Uh, They make that comparison. Um, One of the scenes is, you know, him and the other men yelling, this is our world. And they're just chanting, this is our world. This is our world. It's supposed to be very reminiscent of fascism, right? But Olivia Wilde, the director, this is an explicit quote from her. We base that character on this insane man, Jordan Peterson, who is the pseudo intellectual hero to the incel community. She added, Jordan Peterson is someone that legitimizes certain aspects of incels movement because he was a former professor. He's an author. He wears a suit. So they feel like this is a real philosophy that should be taken seriously. Then um, Peterson. What? I said straw man much. Well, okay, yeah. And that's what we'll get to in a second. Right. That's the point I really want to make here. But I want to give Jordan Peterson's response first. Okay, so Piers Morgan asked Jordan Peterson, are you the intellectual hero to these people? He said Peterson replied, sure, why not? People have been after me for a long time because I've been speaking to young men. What a terrible thing to do. That's exactly what you just said, William. Yeah, it's exactly what you just said. What a terrible thing to do. Yeah. And that's like sort of why the movie is so horrific, right? Because let's look at what Olivia Wilde said. You hit the nail on the head about the straw man. She calls Jordan Peterson, a man with a PhD who's written books and taught on the university level. And, you know, we do have problems with academia, right? But let's be clear. You have to... He's an expert in his field. He's a legit expert in his field. Right. And she calls him a pseudo-intellectual. But William, isn't she the one being a pseudo-intellectual? Man, oh man. The projection. Now here's here's the double-blind of the movie, and this is so revealing about Hollywood. The whole movie is about how the women are being gaslit by the men. It's literally, that's shown over and over again. But if you take a meta step back, isn't this movie a woman- and women gaslighting men by telling them they shouldn't listen to Jordan Peterson? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, we've, we've talked about this sort of narcissistic reversal that we're seeing constantly from folks on that, in that wider woke movement, for lack of a better term. And this is quite the narcissistic reversal, right? We yes. live in a culture dominated by more, by toxic femininity, right? Um, now we have toxic masculinity too. This is not diminishing that. Like there's toxic, uh, toxic behaviors on all sides here. And we're seeing through this fantasy land that, that she's constructed exactly what they are doing currently. Like the, the, these incels are mistaken and some depraved, right? They've been crushed and some of them are evil, obviously. And some of them are just crushed. And there's no sympathy to be had, right? 
we're not you're not supposed to not even just incels you're not even supposed to talk to young men at all as a class other than to tell them how awful they are and i i think what you just said shows how genderizing it and collectivizing it is where the real danger here is because i will say there are two moments in this movie that i would have rebuilt the entire movie around there is a legitimately great moment in this movie where the main character florence Pugh's character of alice yells at her husband about how this is her life and he took away her ability to do what she wanted with her life and she was screaming about how this is my life that's a wonderful romanticized moment but if you take the context with this what's in it's completely nonsensical and then the other moment that was really interesting is olivia wilde's character chose to go along with the gaslighting she was aware of it and it made it better for her to evade the tragedy that she had experienced in her life that right there shows me you could have done this premise and done this movie in a non-gendered way by making it about why do people choose to evade or not and what is the value of this and why is this happening to certain people in our society you know, why are incels, quote unquote, more vulnerable to this? Why has someone like Jordan Peterson rose to prominence nowadays rather than saying, oh, he is evil? It strawmans yeah. him and it simplifies him. Do you see what I'm saying, William? Yeah, yeah. Well, this gets back to the sort of tenet of woke storytelling, which is I've drawn the parallels before, which is reminiscent of classicism where there are just certain themes and certain story beats that are just required and there's no yes. there's no there's no way you can tell a, an actual story that way because it's all propaganda and and this is this sounds from what you're describing that's what this is it's just literally propaganda all the yes. opportunities it has has things that could have been said with the similar uh setting and 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 characters and and plot elements but it and it can't integrate because it must follow these platonic social justice forms. Right. Because when you're talking about all the elements that it could have used, it could have kept almost everything, dude. The casting, the set design, the cinematography, the costuming, the premise. Almost everything could have been kept. Almost everything. It's just like you said, the plot beats that they have to hit. Up to and including... This movie should have ended at an earlier point. There's a certain wow. point where it fades to black and the point was made, right? And it would have been more powerful to end it there. If you're talking about the the tragedy and you're talking about the gaslighting, it would have been more powerful to end it at that point. But they had to push through to showing the overcoming, right? The victory over the evil incels. But then that itself, when they ended it the second time, left more questions than answered answers because you're like, well, where does she go from here at this point? You changed the story. The story is no longer about, oh, here's the evil gaslighting that's happening. Here's the tragedy. Let's revel in it and reflect on it. The tragedy is now the story becomes about. Sorry. Now the story becomes about she's overcome it. What does she do? And it, it, it made the audience want for a longer movie. You see what I'm saying? So even... With what they're doing, they're not even doing it capably. 
So, how many Academy Awards will this be nominated for? Uh... I will say that it looks like it has a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes, although a 76% audience score. So it's sort of okay. dis- it's sort of destroying our you know rule we created, where the audience score is usually more accurate than the critic score. Well, you know, we talk about how sometimes audiences and and sometimes we're even guilty of it ourselves bring our own morality into the story. Maybe people are not seeing it in in this sort of uh, cultural way maybe they're applying it and trying to and sort of seeing it in this more romanticized way even though that's not well, what it like is. right like i said i think they're probably seeing it in the more like you know that one scene where she's like this is my life yeah. which is true which is true right like that's that was the strength of the movie that scene right there and then the the reveal about olivia wilde's character was the strength of the movie and i saw those two and i was like ah those are really good moments why didn't you do more of that oh the other th- point i wanted to make about the movie final point before we move on we're talking about it not being done well so the whole movie is from florence Pugh's perspective as she learns what's going on but they make her incredibly unlikable they make her incredibly unlikable by making her hysterical the entire movie now the argument i'm sure they would make back is women are forced to be hysterical by how they're gaslit by men. They have no other option because their sense of reality is taken away. Right. But my thing is this at a certain point, if you realize you're being gaslit and you realize the whole thing's manipulation, don't you just shut your mouth and go along with it until you find your moment to undermine and break free rather than continuing to be hysterical throughout the whole thing. Yeah. We we keep connecting this back to cluster B and, 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 and you know this sort of like like narcissism and in this case it's histrionic right like we're seeing like oh well that right it's, it's almost a woke tenet that a female ma- main character must be unlikable now they wouldn't put right. it that way but can you name a woke female lead that is not completely unlikable i can't and they would say us not liking them is our misogyny is the problem right right well, as someone who is currently identifying as a woman, I don't think it's based in internalized misogyny here. I think it's they're literally unlikable. There's certain things you do to a character. You have them earn certain things in order for them to be likable. You have them make right. mistakes in human ways and learn from them to make them feel likable. And, right. And I had that conversation with my wife after the movie where I explained to her how, you know, she was hysterical the whole movie. And she even said, yeah, I know. Uh, I wanted her to just make a plan and go through with it to fight back. She was like, she was waiting for her to do that. And I said, well, you saying that they would tell you that's your internalized misogyny. So I, you know, I had this conversation with my wife. So anyway, this is obviously a a just no, right? This is the lowest possible rating. So the only reason I would say this is if you have some sort of morbid curiosity, because it does look at literally almost quotes like catchphrase Jordan Peterson. It talks about how, chaos is bad and we all crave order right and it talks about being the best version of yourself and not accepting the world as people are telling you it is it also even talks about the value of suffering which i thought was interesting Hmm. because jordan peterson's all about the value of suffering and that's you know many objectivist problem with him right he has that very protestant with him he has a yeah it's a very self-sacrificing morality right right suffering is somehow uh, good for your Noble. character. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, like 
in a way, it's a package deal, right? It's not the suffering, it's the overcoming of obstacles, and those obstacles don't have to be morbid or damaging or traumatic in order right. to become a good person. Right. But again, these are just like Chris Pine, who plays this character, he only gives a couple of speech and they, they a couple of speeches and they have a couple of radio addresses from him. So it's literally the definition of pseudo intellectual while the director is calling Jordan Peterson, the pseudo intellectual that's yeah. gaslighting. But yeah. the entire movie is about how Jordan Peterson is gaslighting. It's it's, I don't know how more people don't see it. It's very obvious to me. Yeah. All right, let's move on to trailer takedown though. That movie came out. We're going to talk about some movies that are going to come out. I dropped the trailers usually on Saturday in the discord that's so you can watch them in whatever order you want maybe you want to watch them all before you listen to the episode watch them all after you listen to the episode or you watch a trailer we talk about it you watch a trailer we talk about it trailer takedown first trailer stars at noon is an a24 movie it's about a woman who i think she's abroad and she meets an English guy, and they hook up, and then there's more going on beneath the surface here. Uh, he's, like, involved in espionage or something. He's, like, wanted by the U.S. government. Or, you know, there's a whole thing of, like, does he know? Do you know who he really is? He could be lying to you, blah, blah, blah. Look, I have two problems with this, William. I have two problems. The first is, the way the first part of this trailer is shot you wouldn't think it was romance. It's so dark lighting wise. And also the tone is so like not celebratory of their hookup and everything. Like if you want to make it so that like, it's like this gut punch or this like, Oh my God, what's going on thriller in regards to this guy when she finds out who he really is, or maybe then you have to make the part about like, them connecting and hooking up, you have to make it very romantic and it's not. And that's a major problem. And the second thing is I'm getting really sick of these fucking movies and stories and books that are quasi romance novels that are being marketed to women right now where they're not romance novels, where they go full on about the sex and everything, but they're romance novels. And they put the, where, where they put the women in these situations where they're the special one and all the fucking men around them are crazy. And the women have to figure out how to survive the crazy fucking men who they fell in love with because these are the only choices they have. I'm getting really sick of these stories. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this seems like uh, like someone said, what if we told the story of James Bond from the Bond girl's perspective and made it all about toxic masculinity? No thanks. Tackle. Tackle. William, that could be interesting. The Bond story from the Bond girl's perspective. Let's write it. But I think that would be great, but not adding the toxic ma- masculinity right exactly it's like they they t- it's like they're taking interesting premises and doing them in the least interesting way possible well you got to follow the woke story tenets we just said that second trailer after sun is another a24 movie that possibly looks worse than the last one which i surprise which i suppose spoils my response here but uh this is just a not even a good premise not even an interesting premise it's just a f- father and his daughter interacting that's it like what's the conflict here growing up i mean this is like this seems like literally a definition of naturalism mm. like if someone was like what's naturalism i would just point at this trailer there's literally nothing in, like why would i spend time watching this 
Why would I just not go interact with my female wrestlers who are literally daughters and I know some of their dads and I would, why don't I just go hang out with them? Why don't we just do a wrestling tournament? And then after a match, I, I, I talk to the two of them. Why would I watch a movie? Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this, uh, we were talking uh, during the pre-show. I'm not against mood pieces when they're shorts. I think those can be artistically interesting. This seems like a mood piece drawn out way too long into a movie with no conflict or plot or anything. Like, what, what, like, there's, I can't imagine sitting through this and staying awake. I would argue a mood piece isn't a movie. It's not. No, maybe, that's why I said Maybe it's short, a music video. Right? It's like the yeah. difference between a novel and a short story, right? Now, a short story Yeah, but a short have... story still follows the, the, the rules of narrative. Yeah. A mood piece doesn't have to have narrative. Like, you can read, like, I would, what, I, what you're describing is more akin to a poem yeah. than it is a story. You're probably right. I think that's more, that's probably a more apt. But, but the, the, goal, the, the thing here is it's shorter. That's the point, yes. right? It's not a whole movie. Tackle. Third trailer. Tar is about a composer who I don't even look, I don't even know how to describe this movie. Like it stars Kate Blanchett and I watched this trailer and I was like, why would anyone ever want to watch this movie? I don't understand. Like my brain is struggling to process it. It just seems like you want to talk about pseudo intellectual and pretentious tackle. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Tackle. <laughs> That's a happy tackle to balance it out. Um, yes. <laughs> this is, uh, I think, uh, I think I described it as uh, toxic femininity version of uh, Whiplash, but then uh, uh, Midsider GS called it woke Whiplash, which is way more quippy. So this is basically what if a female was crazy, and it was set in the world of Whiplash. There's. I don't know. Is this, she supposed to be crazy, though? I feel like this is supposed to be celebrating her. She's hearing things and getting weird emails. I, I don't know. I don't know. So this is Wick, Whiplash meets Black Swan? That's what you're telling me? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Fuck that. I know. How about Tackle? Tackle. Fourth trailer. Slashback is about a group of... Teenage girls in Alaska? I think it's Alaska. I was unclear. It's somewhere in the, you know, the great north tundra. They're, it might be yeah, Canada. Yeah, they're supposed to be Inuit, I think. So I'm going to say Canada, northern Canada okay. or, or northern Alaska. Yeah. They said they were from the city of Pang. I didn't care enough to look up because it doesn't matter. It's more MacGuffin where they're from. But, you know, they're going through the normal preteen stuff. And then they have to fight back against alien invaders. Look, I love the premise here. Right, and I think the girls were pretty good, and the aliens looked pretty cool. What was shown from them? My main issue and hesitation here is it just looks like it's shot more naturalistically than you know. It, this should be a cool action piece, a cool horror action piece. It sort of should be like Tremors, but about Inuit girls fighting aliens in in you know the Great North. Right? Except it's not really shot in the style of Tremors. It's shot more like an A24 movie. And after we watch these previous three trailers, that sort of biases us against this because we're fucking sick of this style of shooting. But that said, even though I have the hesitation, I like a lot of this. So this is definitionally something that I wouldn't go in theaters unless there's nothing else. 
and I would give a chance on streaming. So this is definitionally a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. I don't want to see. Uh, I don't want to see a zombie horror movie all naturalistic. I think the, there's many other ones that are not shot in the H24 style that I would subject my eyeballs to before I subjected my eyeballs to this one. So this is a tackle. Ugh, tackle. Final trailer. Babylon is director Damien Chazelle's most recent movie. I was going to say final. I don't know why I was going to say final. Most recent film. It's because I probably said film in my head. Right, most recent film. Uh, this trailer has Brad Pitt Margot Robbie, an assortment of others in it. And it looks like it's multiple stories which are somehow going to converge in Hollywood. And it looks like sort of a meditation on is it really possible to reach anyone with your art or is Hollywood sort of futile, right? And it actually almost looks like it addresses some of Olivia Wilde's narcissism that we talked about in this episode. For me, uh, I loved La La Land. It's one of my favorite movies ever. I thought Whiplash was pretty good, right? It's a, it's a really good, really good movie. And First Man, I liked what he was going for, right? I liked, uh, you know, Ryan Gosling is great casting. Uh, I like the idea of he's putting the emphasis on man and First Man, just like Snyder put the emphasis on man and Man of Steel, right? I like that. I didn't really like the execution of that movie, though. So this movie is sort of, is Damien Chazelle going to show that he's one of the best directors out there, right? Is this going to make good on everything he's shown and all the potential he's shown? I'm really excited for this one. I think this could be really, really, really good. And I think, I think it could be so good that they had such a hard time putting it all in the trailer that I think they had a hard time cutting down the complexity into two and a half minutes here. So the trailer actually being less good makes me even more excited. Hug. Hug? Yeah, this looks interesting. Out of all of these, this is the only one that I was like, oh, this uh, this looks good. Um, th- this could, of course, be woke in several ways that could uh, bump us out of the story, but it looks interesting. I like the setting. I like the, I like the romanticizing in both the positive and negative ways, Hollywood, and exploring that theme should be fun. It should be. I, I hopefully is. Hopefully. Hug. Hug. All right, William, that brings us to the end of our trip. What did we learn this week? I learned that George Bush hates black people. Justin, what did you learn this trip? Uh, I learned that LGBTQ people aren't allowed to commit any acts of violence, and if they are, we're not allowed to tag them as LGBTQIA++ LMNOP. All right, I want to thank you all for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking in the corner of my closet like a crazy person. I mean, it still is that, but I feel a little bit less crazy because we got people listening in on Discord right now. So that makes me feel like, hey, I'm not just babbling to myself. If you want to support the show, you can do so by grabbing some merch at the midside.com slash store, buying my novel at the midside.com slash the cuts or going to Patreon or locals, the midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash locals. Again, Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's how we keep the lights on, right? Like we pay for our hosting with that kind of stuff. We get to pay the water pumps we need to pump out Justin's closet. <laughs> 
the closet's on the second floor, so it never got that high, and I never flooded. <laughs> Don't I had look? I'm not even gonna lie. I had uh, a little bit of survivor's guilt at first because I was like, why did I not get flooded and everyone else did? But I've come to terms with that. Went to counseling with myself. <laughs> all right, and, and most of all, if you want to grow the the show, who do you tell? A friend, specifically a female friend, because as Andy Bernstein pointed out. It always used to be back in the day, if you wanted to grow the word of mouth or something, you, you told a woman about it. So tell a female friend, or however they identify, female or identifies as female, about the show. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlesneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a flood-free day. Hopefully our uh, German uh, uh, podcast uh, listeners have already left the show. But Justin, I have to complain for a second about the food in Germany. Cannot find any good meat. Everything is fucking vegetarian everything. On the entire plane ride back, they didn't have my special gluten-free meal. And every meal was bread, cheese, and cucumbers. That is was this the, the Turkish influence? I don't know. It's, it, it's bizarre. The only thing I can come up with is they just don't have the money for it. Or maybe that it uses plastic somehow, because that's the other thing. Everything is glass bottles. No plastic bottles. They hate plastic in Germany. Very strange.